Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. I'm Wes Avram, the director of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life, a program at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church in Scottsdale. This is our Out of the Park podcast series. We begin today with the first in, a, in what will be an occasional series on new thinking about significant figures in the history of the faith. We're calling it Holy Humans. My first guest for this series is Dr. Tom Dolan, who is on the faculty at Brophy Preparatory School, a school for young men in the Catholic tradition uh, here in Phoenix. And uh, Tom has a storied academic career beginning at Notre Dame University and uh, continuing with a Master's of Arts and Religion from Yale Divinity School and a PhD from the University of Arizona in History. Tom and I first met in New Haven uh, when he was at Yale, and um, I'm delighted to have him in the area and to have him begin this series. Tom, tell us a little bit about your work at Brophy and uh, what brings you to an interest, particularly in Francis de Sales, as a, a figure out of church history that we need to recover in this time. Tell me a little bit about your, your work today at Brophy. My pleasure, and thank, thank you for having me. So uh, I've been at Brophy for uh, 12 years, and um, I teach history of Catholicism to sophomores. It's a required class. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I came to Brophy uh, as I was finishing the Ph.D. at the University of Arizona, and uh, I had my sights on teaching at college, uh, but open to teaching at high school. And um, ultimately, that's, uh, that's where I ended up at Brophy, and it's, it's been great to be there. Fortunately, I get to continue to do scholarship on Francis de Sales, um, independent of my work at Brophy. Um, and I have stayed with uh, Francis de Sales since I first came across his writings in graduate school. Um, I was taking a class on uh, women in the medieval and early modern period. And I came across letters uh, shared between Francis de Sales and a friend of his named Jane de Chantal. And I was struck by um, the language he used as he counseled her. In particular, I was struck by how often he told her to be gentle in all that she did. And she had been submitting herself to pretty rigorous penances and uh, physical penances. And she was also hard on herself um, emotionally, psychologically, uh, so Jane de Chantal, she had lost her husband, and <clears throat> she was determined to um, give herself to a life of piety and prayer. And she she thought that meant um, subjecting herself to to serious physical and uh, psychological penitence. So she was on fire with uh, religious zeal, and when Francis Sales met her. He was uh, delighted to meet her, and he was delighted by her desire to grow spiritually, uh, but he also picked up, <clears throat> in a relatively short amount of time, uh, he picked up on how um, 
sort of aggressive and punitive she was. And so I was drawn immediately to their dialogue back and forth. And I was drawn to um, his his very gentle way of encouraging her to be gentle. And uh, I didn't know that what time period they were in when I first began to read their letters. And when I learned that they lived during the French Wars of Religion, um, immediately that that um, that seemed like a topic worth uh, pursuing because everything I had learned already about Catholicism in that period mm-hmm. was um, <clears throat> was what I learned a great deal about the militancy, which and mm-hmm. I was curious if there was another voice in that time period. So this was just a beautiful uh, discovery. So this is we're talking about the early 17th century. That's right. Uh, 16th and early 17th mm-hmm. century. And he was in Geneva, Bishop of Geneva at the time. Huh? When, or was that before <clears throat> before that, that these this correspondence took place? So he, when they met, he had just become Bishop of Geneva, and yet he could not enter Geneva. He was in exile in, in Annecy, and the his predecessor had fled Geneva in the 1530s mm-hmm. when Calvinism took a hold of that city. So he could not enter, you know, the very city of which, you know, he was the bishop. Now we're talking about this figure uh, in, at the Park Center for Faith and Life, which is housed at a Presbyterian church, which is a few steps removed from Calvin, but nevertheless claims a bit of that tradition. So why talk about Francis de Sales? At a, at a historically Calvinist congregation today. Yeah, yeah. Welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 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 excited. I'm excited to um, to jump into the talk tonight because um, well, Francis de Sales grew up with an anti-Calvinist um, mentality. He was he was uh, he grew up in Savoy, and Savoy was an independent, predominantly Catholic kingdom that had long viewed Geneva as part of its territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he grew up with with the notion, a black and white notion, that Catholics are good, Calvinists are bad. Uh, there was no nuance to it when he was young. And he became a priest, and as a priest, one of his first missions or his assignments was to to re-Catholicize Northern Savoy. Uh-huh. What what I find fascinating about him is he began to see the humanity of Protestants as he got to know them. So he spent four years in the region known as the Chablais. And over the course of the four years, he begins to get to know the various the various leaders. He gets to know the people. Is he trying to convert them? Yes, he's trying to convert them. Uh, does he want to see Catholicism reemerge in the Chablais? Absolutely, he does. At the same time, uh, in his writings, I find that he compliments uh, various Calvinist leaders. Uh, he says positive things, mostly in private. Um, but I was really enjoying seeing him slowly see the humanity of Protestants, and yet he's still fully in the Mm counter-Reformation camp. Um, In my talk, I will 
explore how I think he changes over the rest of his life, um, which I can say more about, but I'll hold off. Okay. For well, now. let me ask this. You know, I, I you um, may agree with me on this or not, but I think we tend to rediscover historical figures because they say something to us today, whether their experience reflects something we're experiencing now or whether they have a, a counterpoint, a kind of truth to tell that we need to hear. So what is it about whatever conflict he was a part of, whether whatever discovery he found, whatever personality he brought to his commitment to truth? What do we what drew you to him today? And why would we care, aside from anything other than a historical footnote, about this conversation you talked about, about his work and his discovery in the time? What what does he have to say to us now? Yeah. I uh so when I was studying him, I, w- I was enjoying seeing him uh, come to appreciate the humanity of Protestants. Um, and I also admired that he committed himself to um, gentle or nonviolent methods. So here is a guy who's fully convinced that Catholicism is the only proper, true form of Christianity but he ends up committing himself to and then telling other Catholics um, that the wars and the violence of that time period, the religious wars, um, is fundamentally at odds with with Jesus and the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And so he, um, he begins to reach out to Protestants but he is committed to dialogue. He's committed to conversation. Um, and he refuses to uh, engage in uh, any sort of aggression, whether it's verbal or physical. He uh, is not always consistent early on. He gives in sometimes to his temper, uh, even even as he becomes more and more tolerant. Uh, you know, he can fall back into polemical language or disrespectful language but over the course of his life I see him on a trajectory of deeper respect deeper tolerance this speaks to me um, as a Catholic who uh, grew up just loving my Protestant friends Um, my mom sometimes would attend an Anglican service and it meant a lot to her Mm -hmm. so I sort of grew up with um, a desire for my own church to to open up to the riches of the Protestant tradition, um, and I've always been super frustrated with um, with my fellow Catholics when they're dismissive of Protestants or even judgmental. Um, so Francis Sales spoke to me because he is a saint in the church, mm-hmm. but he's also a doctor of the church. So he is a major figure in Catholic history to whom I think Catholics still need to turn more and more. And he studied law at some point too, right? He did. He did study law. He earned a law degree. But ultimately, he was drawn more to uh, ministering to people. Uh So from the outside, today, somebody looking at this, how quaint the Catholics and Protestants think their differences are life and death. I have life and death importance. How quaint. But... We have life and we have differences in our society today that people take to be life and death, death differences, don't we? And mm-hmm. we have something, if it's not about Catholics and Protestants, 
is there something we still have to learn from him and his introduction to a devout life? Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, he says the the path of a Christian is the gentle way of Christ. So Matthew chapter 11, verses uh, 28, 29, I believe. His message to Christians ultimately is um, you must you must adhere to the gentle way of Christ. Uh, that that is the way. And as much as we want to see external events turn out in a certain way, uh, he says it's it's the path of Christ to to imitate mercy, gentleness, mm-hmm. compassion, and uh, that calls for deep trust and detachment. From, from the outcomes we want to see. You know, I see pictures on television today of demonstrations in which people are holding up banners and uh, quite aggressively claiming God's will on their side as they're also carrying a gun or you know, shouting epithets or doing other you know, forms of aggression today, right? Do we need to, how do we find people that show us a different way? You just have to find them accidentally? Or do we teach, yeah. teach them to sophomores at Brophy? <laughs> yeah, so I uh uh at Brophy, especially in my classroom, I try to uh hold Francis de Sales up as a model, especially for the for the Catholic uh, students who have who have little exposure to other traditions. Um I think we've got to look to prophets, you know. I think I think ideally all folks look to the prophets within their tradition. And and do that soul searching and push themselves more deeply to, you know, what what is the deeper wisdom here? And for me, Francis de Sales is the he brings us to a deeper wisdom within the Catholic tradition that that invites us to lower the temperature to we can hold, you know, hold on to our convictions, uh, but commit to dialogue, commit to um, the, the way of gentleness the way of nonviolence and trust. I mean, he ultimately had a deep trust in God. And as a missionary, he would sometimes lose his temper. Mm -hmm. And as a missionary, he would sometimes get aggressive. And before he died, I think he came to, he came to a humble place that said, um, you know, I've given all, I've, I gave all I could during the four years of missionary work. And yet there are still, thousands if not millions of Protestants in Europe and I think slowly but surely he came to say you know God's God's will is God's will and it's sometimes inscrutable and he just gave himself up to trust well you may have just answered the question I'm about to ask because we have uh, part of our park center programming is a project we call project dialogue which is a series of uh, events, conversations, uh, talks, speakers who help us think about controversial issues, but also help us think about how to preserve a kind of passion for truth and a passion for position without doing harm to the other, right? Yeah. And how, and what are the textures of trust, faith, uh, confidence, and love that make it possible for us to have dialogue without having to presume relativism, right? Because nobody finally doesn't believe what they believe. There's always a point at which each one of our beliefs are absolute in our own sense of them. And yet, how do we have an absolute belief which we believe is is true, not only for us, but for other people as well, without holding that in a way that's aggressive or harm-making? 
Is he a model for us? Uh, yeah, he can't do much better. Because <laughs> he, uh, I mean, <laughs> Francis de Sales firmly believed that Protestants were wrong, at least most of his life. He and he might have been right. <laughs> I, I mean, I, he might have been. But uh, I, I still, I, I think in his later years, there was a part of him that began to, to you know, widen, widen his scope of, you know, who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he is an excellent model for someone who says, I believe A, B, and C. This is where I stand. Um, but uh, you are a brother and sister, mm-hmm. and you are made in the image and likeness of God. Um, I want to commit to dialogue and to listening. And I think ultimately... He might, if he were alive today, I think he would he would celebrate people being true to their traditions and holding on to the uniqueness of their traditions and, um, you know, not not giving in and saying it doesn't matter, uh, but holding on to the uniqueness of our traditions, but remaining in dialogue with each other. So how do your 16 year old young men receive this? What kind of questions do they ask you when you teach this? Yeah, I, I I would say overwhelmingly uh, the sophomores that I teach um, they welcome uh, the dialogue. They welcome a sense of bridge building. Um, I think a good number of them would 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 like an easy answer, which might they might they may want to a quick and easy answer, which might run something like this. Um, Whatever you believe is the truth. Mm-hmm. Believe whatever you want, um, and it doesn't really matter. And I try my best to um, to strike a balancing act where uh, let's let's passionately pursue what we believe to be true and good and passionate, and let's celebrate our individual communities and traditions, um, and commit to dialogue um, without without necessarily saying. It's all good because it's not everything is all good. There is evil. Mm. There, there is, there are lies. So it's it's a balancing act um, with these sophomores. Are they willing to walk the tightrope or walk the watershed? I think uh, I think the majority of them are. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think the majority of them are. Um, in my experience, there are a few. A few on the extremes, you know, there are a few that uh, don't want a dialogue at all, uh, sort of um, fundamentalism. Um, and then, then at the other extreme, there's some students who just dismiss religion altogether. Um, and I, tr- I try to I try to invite them to see the, the beauty, the goodness, the, the richness of the spiritual path. But there's some students who, uh, for one reason or another, they're just um, faith, spirituality, for at least right now. It's a no-go. Yeah. It's, it's a taboo. But you never know what they'll remember when they're 26. That's right. That's right. Just so try to plant the seeds. I want to ask another question, which is a little uh, you know, off a different topic a little bit, but about what it has meant for you to find this character in history. I know you have other interests, and your work has not just been about Francis de Sales, but but to be in conversation, almost a kind of intimate conversation, 
with a figure from 300 more years back. What has that meant for you to be in conversation with someone from another time, another place, another world? And I ask that because I, that's one of the things that fascinates me about historians is that there's the best historians I talk to are, are, are people who find themselves in a conversation mm-hmm. with people like disciplined states of altered consciousness, right? Where you're, where you're in a disciplined state of altered consciousness in conversation with a figure from another world, another time, another place, and another way of seeing things, and yet who's an intimate friend. How does that work for you? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that a fair description? I would say, um, I mean, my I tend to be more practical, um, perhaps, um, when I'm reading Francis de Sales. Um, practical in the sense of um, I'm more inclined to think, uh, how might this work in my classroom mm-hmm. or how might this work at a Catholic parish or... How might this overlap with what Pope Francis seems to be up to? Um, so you're constantly drawing analogies. You're drawing yes, connections. Right? Yes, yeah. So I, I, um, I, I, it might be fair to say that I, on some level, I keep some distance between myself and Francis mm-hmm. Sales in the sense that um, um, I almost want to respect the mystery, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um I, I enter into what he's written, um, but there's a way in which uh, I think uh, he's beyond reach. So mm-hmm. I kind of approach it with a certain reverence or even um, uh, distance, if that makes sense. Um, but isn't the, the ability to see the mystery in his life, doesn't being able to do that also help us recognize the mystery in another's life? in our own time, in our own space, in our own world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he, he never ceases to surprise me. Um, he contradicts himself. He makes mistakes. Um, I think the, I think my dialogues with him, to the extent that I dialogue with him, helps me see the humanity of saints. You know, helps right. me to see the humanity of of the clergy, uh, the humanity of, uh, you know, whoever it might be, Billy Graham or Martin Luther King. Uh, um, he was, he, he was, he was a holy man, but he was human. Um, he helps me see how beautiful, uh, and grace filled humans can be. And yet my dialogues with him can reveal, the messiness, the gradualism of the process. What a great way to conclude our conversation today. And a great way to introduce this series, because we're going to try to do just what you described. From a wide range and a number of speakers, stay tuned if you're listening uh, to hear more about our Holy Humans series. We're going to have uh, folks from the community and from the Park Center staff are going to be talking about different figures and characters uh, from the from the 17th century to today and what we can learn in conversation. Tom, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. This is the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.